Welcome to the Cars Deep and Wide podcast. This is episode 13 with Tom Schreiner. This past November, we had the great privilege in Karis Church to welcome into our midst for our annual theology conference, Dr. Tom Schreiner, along with his wife, Diane. Tom is a professor of New Testament and Biblical Theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He is truly one of the eminent Pauline scholars in the world, and he's done extensive research and writing on gender. And for this year's conference, we entitled it Different by Design, and we looked at how God has made men and women equal in dignity and worth, but different in role and function. I hope you'll enjoy the second session with Tom as he talks about how God has made us different by design in the home. I would like to begin by just going back a couple verses. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. So how, how, can, we, how can we fulfill this command to be good husbands and wives? We can't do it unless we're filled with the Spirit. Here's another thing I want to say. What if you're not married? What does this passage have to do with you? Well, I'd say two things. Number one, it gives you a platform to pray for those who are married in the body which is important, right? You want to pray for people's marriages to be right and good. And of course, secondly, someday you may be married as well. So it's good for you to know what God, God's Word teaches about marriages. But we, we can only have marriages that are pleasing to God if we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Marriage faces a crisis in our country because our commitments before God are so often broken. I grew up in the 1960s when I was a young child. Hardly anybody got divorced. Now it's rampant, isn't it? G.K. Chesterton, I quoted him last night, he humorously explains one of the common excuses for divorce doesn't wash. Here's what he says. He says, he wrote this a long time ago, if Americans can be divorced for incompatibility of temper, I cannot conceive why they are not all divorced. I have known many happy marriages, but never a compatible one. The whole aim of marriage is to fight through and survive the instant when incompatibility becomes unquestionable. For a man and a woman as such are incompatible. Well, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, isn't it? But it makes a good point. Uh, There's a song... I enjoyed listening to by a, a, a couple called Neil and Leandra, and they're talking about, um, oh, actually, this is another song by Greg Brown. He's talking about why people, uh, their relationships sour. And he says this in the song, people meet somebody new and they leave the rest behind. We can have it all, even though our lives are short. The kids, they'll get used to it. That's the rationalization, right? The kids, they'll get used to it. It happens all the time. The writer then adds, no one is even surprised anymore. That's not a Christian writer, by the way. That's just an unbeliever saying that. So let's let's pay heed to what Paul says in these verses. Let's just back up a little bit and and, and think about this. The The call for wives to submit to their husbands. That's very controversial today. I'm sure Kevin has been talking about that as well. Most liberal churches 
Most liberal churches just disagree with this. So they, they, they either explain it away, or often they'll say a liberal church that doesn't hold to the authority of Scripture, they'll just say Paul was wrong and he's limited by the culture of his day. But of course, it's logically inconsistent, isn't it, to take some conservative pastors say, yes, I believe this, but I'm not going to preach on it. I don't want to preach on it because it's divisive. And, um, but the problem there is their own wisdom is therefore ruling instead of what God says. Others say, others say who say, well, all the Bible is true, they'll say, well, some passages in the Bible are culturally restricted to the first century. So they'll say something like, well, we don't believe slavery is right. So, uh, so th- this word about husbands and wives, especially about wives, especially about wives submitting to their husbands, that doesn't apply to today. So I'm going to give you three reasons why I don't think this command for wives to submit to their husbands, three reasons why I don't think it is cultural, three reasons why I think it's a transcendent command that still applies to today. First, first reason, marriage is not like slavery. Marriage was instituted by God at creation before the fall into sin. So God instituted marriage before Adam and Eve had sinned, Genesis 1 and 2. Slavery is an evil human institution invented by people. Slavery is not one of God's good gifts from creation. But God intended from the beginning that man and woman be united together in marriage. Slavery is regulated by God in the scriptures but never endorsed as a good institution. First, you, you want a text? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21, Paul says to slaves, if you're able to get your freedom, do so. He never says, if you're able not, uh, if you're able not to submit, please do so, right? So, so that's the first one. Slavery is an evil human institution. Second, Paul's words here aren't cultural, because the submission of wives to husbands is compared to the submission of the church to Jesus Christ. And the church's submission to Jesus Christ is clearly not cultural, right? That is a transcendent principle. The church always submits to Jesus Christ. That's the analogy that is used. As the church submits to Christ, so wives submit to their husbands. Well, that's not a cultural reason, is it? Third, Third, we see in verse 32, at the end of the discussion, Paul emphasizes Christ's love for the church. He says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. Paul teaches us here, I'm sure Kevin said this if you were here, marriage mirrors Christ's relationship with the church. It isn't as if God first instituted marriage, and then he said, wow, that's uh, that's, that'll be great. Let's have Christ and the church come along and mirror marriage. It, it was the opposite, wasn't it? God, God first was thinking of the relationship between Christ and the church, and mirror, marriage mirrors, reflects that relationship between Christ and the church. Well, therefore, it's transcultural. Therefore, it's an abiding word for today. Our marriages, more specifically, the wife's submission to the husband mirrors the submission of the church to Jesus Christ. So 
the command for wives to submit to their husband is God's word for us today. What does it mean? What does it mean to submit? It means to subordinate yourself under someone else. To subordinate yourself to someone who, you're, you're under their authority. I'm a professor at Southern Seminary. My boss is Dr. Moeller. One of my, one of my responsibilities as a faculty member is to submit to his authority as, as the president of the seminary. So too wives are to follow their husband's leadership. I like how Mary Cassian describes submission in everyday life. You know, that's what we want to get down to. What does it look like? Here's what she says. Submission boils down to having a spirit of amenability. Do you know that word? Submission boils down to having a spirit of amenability. Now she explains it. It means being soft, receptive, responsive, and agreeable. Because of the misconceptions surrounding the definition of submission, I actually prefer to use the term amenability. I I still use the word submission, but I see what she's saying. Amenability comes from the French amener, to lead. An amenable woman is leadable. That's a good way to put it. As opposed to ungovernable. She's responsive to input and likely to cooperate. So, so this command is, is no excuse for husbands to be selfish or tyrannical. The verse does not command, nowhere does Scripture command husbands to force or coerce wives to submit. That's very important, isn't it? Husbands are to love their wives. More on that later and give themselves up for their wives. So, so wives are not forced to submit by their husbands. That's not what's going on. They're to submit voluntarily, gladly, and willingly to their husband's leadership. So let me, let me clear up some misunderstandings. First, what is, what is submission doesn't mean every woman submits to every man, right? A wife submits to her husband, not every man in the congregation. That's, that's a very important point, isn't it? Submission doesn't mean that there's not mutuality in the relationship. Submission between a husband and wife, it's not a militaristic relationship. It's not like the relationship between a parent and a child. That's quite different, isn't it? I know, I know of a situation where a husband demanded of his wife that you need permission from me as to which room you go to next in the house. That is not a biblical understanding of submission. That's a very militaristic, extreme militaristic understanding. Third, wives have a right and responsibility to share their opinions and and to tell their husbands they're wrong. (laughs) That's okay, isn't it? In fact, that can be good to say to a husband, I mean, the tone is important, isn't it, in which something is said, but to say to a husband, you're wrong. You're mistaken. Fourth, if husbands call on their wives to submit to what is evil, then wives should disobey, right? There have been instances, this has happened, even amongst people who profess to be Christians, a dramatic example, there have been examples where husbands have said to wives, let's both have other partners, right? That's happened. What should a wife say to that? Absolutely not. 
Absolutely not. That's contrary to God's word. Fifth, just some practical examples that I think are helpful. You might want to ask questions about this. If a husband were to say to, to his wife, you can't have the car keys anymore, or I'm locking you out of the house, or you can't go to church, or you can't leave the house, or other abusive things, then the wife is not called upon to obey such commands. Those, those commands are examples of abuse, right? You can't have the car keys anymore. You can't leave the house today. Fifth, wife should not, I mean sixth, wife should not submit to physical abuse from a husband. So, wives are to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. The submission is fundamentally an act of worship being amenable in this way, it's an act of worship to Jesus Christ as Lord. The wife doesn't follow a husband's leadership because the husband is wiser, or he's more spiritual, or he's more important, or he has more dignity or value. She submits because that's the role God has assigned to her. That's, let me say again, nothing about a husband having more dignity, value, or worth that's, that's very different. In the Old Testament, the priests were limited to the sons of Aaron. If you grew up in the tribe of Simeon and you said, I want to be a priest, what was the answer? No. <laughs> you couldn't be a priest. That's not fair. Maybe a child of Simeon would say, I want to be a priest. What's the answer? No. You can't be a priest. Why? It's God's will. Are, are the, were the sons of Levi uh, of more value and dignity than the sons of Simeon? Absolutely not. But God had chosen, hadn't he, that the priests would come from the tribe of Levi and the sons of Aaron. God had chosen that, and that's what the Israelites were to do. God, for his own wise reasons, had ordained it, to be a different way. So in verse 23 of Ephesians 5, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Wives are to submit to their husbands because the husband is the head, just as the church is to submit to Christ because Christ is the head. To say that Christ is the head is to say that Christ is the authority over the church. So too, husbands are the authority over wives. People don't like that word authority today. <laughs> You know, Americans, if Americans are anything, they're independent, aren't they? That's what it means to be an American. A good general, right, doesn't say, oh, good, I can boss my troops around. <laughs> Fantastic. That authority of a husband we'll see later is to be used in a particular way. Authority isn't a privilege. It's a responsibility, isn't it? <clears throat> Let me say a word exegetically here. Some people argue when it says the husband is the head of the wife that it means the husband is the source of his wife. Not the authority, but the source of his wife. But I don't think that's credible or plausible. First of all, Ephesians 1.22, Ephesians 1.22, God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Clearly, 
That means Jesus is the authority, right? God exalted him to his right hand and made him as head over all things to the church. In fact, I think this word head, when it's used metaphorically, of course, usually it refers to our physical heads, right? But when the word head is used metaphorically, I think it regularly means to have authority over. Furthermore, that makes perfect sense in context. Wives are to submit because their husbands are the head. Well, even if the word meant source, does it really change the meaning of the verse that much? I don't really think so. Wives are to submit because their husbands are their source? Seems to imply some kind of authority. But I still think the most natural way of reading it is this word means authority. I, I was in a little discussion group with some egalitarian friends one time, and they said, yes, yes, this word means source, not, not authority. And I said, okay, fine. Tell me, how am I the source of Diane? Physically? No. Spiritually? No, she was a Christian before I was. So how am I her source? Answer? They didn't know. They couldn't tell me anything. And I, so, you know, they didn't even have an answer as to what it means. I think they're actually thinking of Adam and Eve, right? You could see how Adam is the source of Eve. Okay, that makes sense. But actually, that's not what this passage says. It says the husband is the, the head, the kephale, I think authority over his wife. It's not talking about Adam and Eve. It's talking about husbands and wives here. So I really don't think in context it makes much sense to say the husband is the source of his wife. But it makes perfect sense to say wives are to submit to their husbands because the husbands are their authority. Finally, that's not really very hard to understand. Paul goes on to say Christ is the savior of the church. Right? We see that. But, but now we have to be careful. Husbands aren't the savior of their wives, right? He doesn't, say, he doesn't say in this passage, husbands, you save your wives. Now he's talking particularly about Jesus Christ, isn't he? Christ saves, the gospel saves. Husbands don't save their wives. Um, but but we, we want to go on and say something to the wives here. Why did God give you this command? To oppress you? To make your life miserable? Now he gave, he gave this command, all God's commands, if we believe God loves us, all God's commands are for our good. He didn't give this command to destroy you. He gave you this command so you would flourish. So my prayer is as a wife, you would delight in following the leadership of your husband, that you would find joy in submitting to his leadership. That doesn't mean you squash your personality. Clearly. But remember, husbands aren't always wise. Husbands don't always make the right decision. You don't put your trust in your husband. That's not what we're talking about. You put your trust in God. Right? We, all, we all live in situations. We all live under authority. Do I think that the, those who have been author, an authority over me have always made the right decision? I don't. But I haven't always made the right decision either. Right? We're not putting our trust in people. We're, we're, when you're submitting, you're expressing your trust in God himself. So wives, cease striving and know that he's God. Be still and know that he is God. Your husbands are responsible for the decisions that are made, ultimately. So, you know, if we can envision a picture on the last day, 
I don't know if it'll happen this way at all, but if God were to call up the couple, he'll go to the husband first, right? And say, give me an account for what you did. God gives your commands to you as wives for your good so that you'll rest in his specific will. So now I want to close with uh, the wife part, not my whole talk, sorry, if you wanted it to be over. Um, but I want to close the part with wives with uh, five, five uh, comments for wives. We read in Ephesians 5, verse 33, that wives are to respect their husbands. That's one of the most important things for men. All you wives, you know that, right? Or if you don't, you know it now. <laughs> Husbands need to be respected and honored. So a good wife, she builds her husband up. She does not constantly remind her husband of his faults and mistakes and shortcomings. Because he has them, right? You don't constantly remind them. You don't do that with your children either, right? When Children need a lot of correction, but the fundamental atmosphere in the home, right, is one of affirmation with correction that's needed. So too, wives, you see the faults of your husband, of course, and sometimes he needs, you need to talk about those, of course, but that's, that's not fundamentally what's happening in the home. You encourage him, you respect him, you honor him, especially in public situations. You don't run him down, you don't humiliate him, you don't embarrass him in public. That's what it means to honor your husband. Second, submission is not restricted only to actions, but to attitudes. 1 Peter 3 says, wives are to have a meek and gentle spirit. So submission reflects itself in demeanor. you, You can say the right thing as wives and say it the wrong way with the wrong tone. You, you, can, you, know, you can have quarrels where you're just protesting, but what I said was okay. But it's also the way things are said, right? The tone that comes out in what we say, that's also important. Third, wives are to communicate to their children their loyalty to the husband by showing confidence in his leadership and by not complaining about the husband to the children. That's really important. And it's not just to the husband, but also if you have children, that the, that the children also see that you, that you respect and honor the husband so you don't, you don't go sideways and start complaining to the children about, about the husband. Proverbs 21.9 says, It is better to live in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. That warning is repeated three times in Proverbs. That's important, isn't it? If you're under someone's authority, right, I don't, is that particularly a woman's problem? I don't think it's particularly a woman's problem. I think it's if you're under someone's authority, there's a tendency to complain, you know? Uh, just you think of job situations, right? What's one of our temptations? Our temptation is always under the authority to start complaining about that authority. And so I think that's a particular temptation for a wife. Fourth, 1 Corinthians 7, I'm not reading this text, but 1 Corinthians 7 emphasizes that both husbands and wives are to be responsive lovers to one another. In other words, regular sexual relations are an important element in a good marriage. And that's, that's crucial, isn't it? That's a very practical word, isn't it? 
Scripture speaks of those things too. Regular sexual relations. Of course, you know, there's times of sickness or whatever that's going on. But but a good marriage is marked, Paul says this very clearly in 1 Corinthians 7, a good marriage is marked by regular sexual coming together. So that's an important word word for wives. That's very practical. I've actually heard people complain when reading this passage, oh, that's so crass. Did you really have to get into that? You know? Well, the Bible's very practical. And I've heard people complain the other way. Oh, the Bible's so abstract, you know? Talks about loving each other. Why can't it give us something practical? But then when they get to 1 Corinthians 7 and he says regular sexual relations, they're like, oh, that's too crass. <laughs> Let's not get that specific TMI and so forth and so on. So, well, um, hey, the Bible's practical, right? This is a good part of marriage. And then, then uh, fifth, Titus 2, 3 through 5 says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands at the word of God may not be reviled. But, you know, I'm not going to look at all these things in detail, but that, there's a nice pattern for what it means to be an older woman, single or married, and a, a younger wife as well. Wives, how do you do this? You need to be filled with the Spirit, <laughs> right? That's what Paul says. He's not like, okay, let's really try now. Let's, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm really going to work at self-effort. Every day, afresh and anew, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God gives us commands, doesn't he, that we can't obey on our own. So how do we fulfill those commands? We need to be filled with the Spirit afresh and anew. So if, there's, if you're complaining about authority, you know, that relates to all of us, doesn't it? If you're complaining about authority, whether it's a husband or just any other situation, you're forgetting to be filled with the Spirit, right? You're forgetting that you need to rely on the Holy Spirit for this. Okay, so that's just something quickly for wives. Now let's talk about husbands. Husbands clearly are the leaders in the relationship. You're the head whether you like it or not. <laughs> you know, a lot of husbands, they want to abdicate the responsibility. They, they, they want to be fundamentally passive. But what does the text say? You're the head. <laughs> and you're the head one way or the other, you're going to display your headship. Even if you say, well, I'm not going to operate as the head, you're operating the head by abdicating your responsibility, by not doing anything. So if our wives are suffering, we need to take a hard and long look at ourselves to see why this is so. It's quite likely, not always true, it's quite likely that if our wives are suffering that we're not loving them the way we're called to love them. So just more practical things about what it means for the husband to be the leader. Finally, the husband has ultimate responsibility in the home for, for the budget, right? Now, maybe the wife will run the checkbook. That's fine. Maybe your wife is just omnicompetent and she's actually better than you at it and keeps things running smoothly. You know, that, that's great too. But if things start going awry, right, that's a problem financially. And uh, that, that's ultimately your responsibility. A good leader may delegate, 
significantly to someone else. But if things start to go awry under that leadership, it's his responsibility, finally. I think that's what Scripture says. A husband is responsible for the spiritual direction of a home, calling together the family for Scripture reading and prayer, attending church, the spiritual atmosphere in a home. That's really important, men. The spiritual atmosphere in a home, are you fundamentally at home a happy and joyful person? I'm not talking about personality here. I'm not talking about being a giddy, happy, clappy personality type. We all have different personalities, right? I'm not talking about you're always cracking jokes or whatever. I'm talking about are, are you fundamentally happy or are you, or is there kind of a complaining note to your life. Uh, you're, you're fundamentally negative and cynical and critical. Look, your kids are going to pick it up. <laughs> they know you. They know you. They're going to know, are you fundamentally a happy person? Are you fundamentally a negative person? You can say all day long what the Bible says, but they're going to pick up who you are. That's why it's great to have kids, right? They know you. They know you're in there. They're just going to drink in what's happening, finally. You can't say, well, I can't be a leader. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a seminary student. I'm act- actually, my wife is smarter than me. You, you, you can be a leader and be less intelligent than your wife, right? The Bible realizes that sometimes, maybe lots of times, right? Wives are smarter than husbands. You can still be the leader. It's the, the smartest person isn't always the leader. Look, when I was the pastor of our church, I pastored for 17 years, I didn't say if a person came in who was smarter or even a better preacher, I surrender, now you be the pastor. Well, first of all, that could ha- change, you know, every time a new person came into the church, now you be the pastor. You're smarter. You know the Bible better. Right? The, the best, the, 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 Ronald Reagan was, a, whether you agree with him politically or not, most of you weren't even alive, probably. Um, but anyway, um, Ronald Reagan was a good leader, right? But no, no one thought Ronald Reagan was the smartest person in the government, but he knew the direction he wanted to take the country. And, uh, and he relied a lot on subordinates to help him do that. So, so don't think, oh, if, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm going to be the leader, I have to be the most intelligent. That's, that's, not, that's not what Scripture says. So husbands are the leaders. Second, husbands are called upon to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, of course, Christ's love is unique, right? Christ's Christ's death is the basis of our right relationship with God. Husbands, we don't love our wives like that. We can't do that, right? I don't think this text is saying husbands sanctify their wives you know, when Paul's into this passage, he's, he starts talking about what Christ did, right? Only Christ can sanctify us. Christ sanctifies the church. By the way, I think he's talking here about positional sanctification, definitive sanctification. So Christ sets us apart in the realm of the holy, doesn't, it? doesn't he? We're holy and sanctified if we belong to Jesus Christ. And, and, and he speaks of... Uh, the church being washed with the water of the word, I think here we have a reference to baptism. Baptism symbolizes what our sins are washed away, our sins are cleansed. Well, we husbands, we don't wash away the sins of our wives, do we? Christ does that for the church. Why am I saying this? 
When we read this passage, we recognize the analogy doesn't stand at every point, right? We don't, we don't save our wives, we don't sanctify them, we don't wash away their sins. So there, there, there's a relationship between Christ and the husband, but it doesn't stand at every point, does it? We, we wouldn't, we wouldn't, I've actually heard people use this passage to say, well, you know, husbands, you ought to wash your wives with the word of God, and you can sanctify your wife. I, I don't think that's what Paul intends here. He does intend we ought to do what we do for the good of our wives, but we don't save them, we don't sanctify them, we don't forgive their sins. That's what Christ does for the church. That's what Christ does for his bride. And on that last day, the bride will be perfect in holiness, without spot and wrinkle. You know, it's what a beautiful picture. You know, I've done quite a few weddings over the years, you know, and the bride comes up, you know, the perfect, it's the perfect day, hopefully, <laughs> right? And she's beautiful and uh, without spot and wrinkle. But we're, Paul's looking here at the last day, when the church will be perfect and, and without any without any sin. So, husbands aren't Christ here, we, we, but we're to model our lives after Christ, right? We're to love our wives in a remarkable way. We're to love our wives as Christ loves the church. Now look, that's a staggering command, husbands. What a stagger. That staggers me. Often, I have to confess my sins when I read this passage. Because, yes, I often fall short in this regard, right? I mean, and all of us as husbands, we have to admit that, don't we? Do we love our wives as Christ loved the church? Of course we don't, but that's, that's, a call, that's a call to be filled with the Spirit, isn't it? How do we fulfill this command? We need the Holy Spirit. We just can't do it. But we're reminded afresh of our calling, Right? We're to do all we can to nurture our wives in holiness and godliness. So what does it mean to love our wives? It means that we do everything we can so that they'll flourish as Christians. They'll become more like Jesus. So we think about that for our wives and we pray that for our wives. So it doesn't mean what is it, what, we don't love our wives necessarily if we lavish money upon them. You know, some husbands think that. What would it mean to love my wife? Well, she likes nice things. I'm just going to spend and spend and spend. You know, that's maybe in secular relationships. That may, may, may make a wife happy, but it, it has nothing to do with her growing in the Lord. We show our love for our wives by encouraging them in their relationship to God. Can I, can I just tell a little story here? It's actually the reverse of how my wife encourages me. She has been the biggest encouragement and strengthener in my spiritual relationship. And one of the great ways she's done this is when I'm in sin and I want her to agree with me, she won't. I'll give you a story. So I was saying to her one day about a friend of mine, a very dear friend, his name is Kevin Larson. No, I made that up. It wasn't, it wasn't Kevin. And the, this is a person none of you know. Anyway, I was saying to her, you know what? I'm really irritated with this friend of mine lately. Because he did that to me, and then he did that, and then he did that. I'm like, hey, what do you think, wife? She's like, oh, no, no. Oh, no, no, you're wrong. He's a really good guy. Remember when he did that for you? Remember when he did that? Remember when he loved you that way, and then that way? And I'm like, yeah. 
he's a great guy. I forgot. You know, that's, that's, that's loving a husband in a godly way, right? She won't just say to me when I'm in sin, yeah, yeah, you're right. What a bum that guy was. She'll call me back, but in a kind way, right? She'll call me back to doing godly things. Well, you know, that's what it means to be a good husband too. We encourage our wives in the, in the things of the Lord. What else does it mean to be a good husband? I think it's, we have the fundamental responsibility. This is complex, isn't it? We have the fundamental responsibility. It's not always possible. Life is complex, but we have a fundamental responsibility to financially support our families. That's our fundamental responsibility. I mean, husbands lose jobs. Husbands get disability, right? So life isn't simple. But that's our fundamental responsibility. Uh, Do I think it's wrong for a wife to work? I don't think it's wrong. I think it's ideal, if possible, for a wife to spend significant amount of time with the children, especially when they're younger. So I think that's an ideal. But the husband has that fundamental responsibility for support. again, Again, I say that doesn't mean wives don't work at all. That, that also means husbands have a fundamental, fundamental responsibility in terms of the budget of a home. So that's a, that, I said that before, but that's really important. Sometimes young couples, old couples too, but sometimes young couples have this idea of all these things they need to have financially, but you don't need them all. You don't need them all. There's a place for sacrificing for the good of the family. Just an example, my first job, it was a long time ago. Money meant differently than it does now. My first job, we had one child, 1983. I was making 16000 a year. We were living in the Los Angeles area. Diane stayed home with Daniel. If we wanted to go out, where would we go out to eat? McDonald's. Could we afford anything else? Nope, we couldn't. In fact, but when we went to fifth grade, you know, and when Daniel was in fifth grade and we went to Perkins, he said, where do we clear the dishes? <laughs> Oh, you don't have to do that in this restaurant, you know? That's, you know, so, you know, in those days, when we were young, in those days, we just couldn't afford to go out. You know, we, we sacrificed that. But how worth it it was to us to have Daniel to be, I mean, Diane to be able to stay home with the kids. So people have sometimes these ideas, this is what you need. This is what you need financially. Well, do you really need it? It's a matter of priorities. At least that's a husband's responsibility to set the direction of where you're going as a family. Paul speaks here in Ephesians 5 that husbands who love their wives love their own bodies. They love themselves, right? when, When our bodies get sick, if you're not feeling well, right, you do everything you can to restore it. Of course, you feed your body. You restore that injured part, don't you? You nurse it back to health. Husbands, you know, husbands, do you love yourself? Love your wife. Isn't that what he says? Do you love yourself? Love your wife. When you love your wife, you love yourself. I've been married, let's see, I've got to do a quick think. How long? How many? 41, 42? Yeah, 41. Anyway, we'll argue about that. So I think it's 41, 41 and a half. But if Diane's not happy, there have been times she's not happy, and I try to tell myself, I'm happy. I'm happy even though she's not happy. 
I don't care that she's not happy. I'm happy. It doesn't work. I'm never happy. If she's not happy, I'm not happy. Isn't that what Paul says there? If your wife isn't happy, now, now, you know, there can be complexities there. Sometimes a wife can be in sin. But that's not my experience. If my wife isn't happy because of my own sin, right, I'm, I'm not happy. That, that's the way God... That's the way God intended it to be. Okay, some, my time is running out. Some practical, practical ways. I, I talked about practical ways for husbands. Some practical ways for husbands, I mean, for husbands to love their wives. So first, our primary relationship of friendship is with our wives. That means we spend long times of unhurried conversation with our wives. That we linger with them. We spend time with them. We don't say, yeah, none of you do this, right? Okay, you have 10 minutes. Then I've got to go watch games the rest of the night, right? Husbands, don't forsake your relationship with your wife. Be in situations, this is how friendships flourish, right? Be in situations where you can have unhurried lingering conversations with them. That's important. If you, if you say to a friend, yeah, let's get together every two weeks and talk five minutes. You're not going to grow in a friendship like that, right? There's going to be, in our, conver- in our culture that is so on the, on the clock, right? Unhurried conversations. So there's got to be space in our lives for that. Sometimes husbands are prone to be quiet and use few words. That's, that's fine if that's your personality. But remind your wife often that you love her and treasure her with words, with words. You love her, you treasure her. That's so important. May she feel like a treasured jewel, not like a piece of furniture in the house. That might mean when you come home from work, You take a walk with your wife instead of getting on the computer right away or turning on the TV, whatever you do, that you you spend time with her. I mean, every family's different. You know, if you have kids, you know, you usually got to attend to them for dinner and so forth and so on. Second, husbands, be content with your wives physically. Do not compare her physically to other women. Find your joy in loving her alone. This is what Proverbs says. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Hey, it doesn't say rejoice in your young wife, right? Rejoice in the wife of your youth. It doesn't say, well, your wife's getting older, get a new one. He says, no, rejoice in the wife of your youth. By the way, you're getting older too, just in case you didn't look in the mirror. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Oh, there it is again. The Bible's quite practical, isn't it? Sometimes rather shocking to people in our culture. So make sure, right, we talked already about regular sexual relations, But also make sure that you don't just love your wife for sexual reasons, right? Hold their hands. Give them an endearing kiss or a warm hug. Show love for your wife in other practical ways. 
as well. That the only time, as husbands, not, that the only time you touch her should not be when you want to have sex, right? Some wives feel like, well, they feel kind of like an object if that happens. Like, why, why does he never hug me or hold my hand or kiss me except for when he wants sexual relations? Third, know your wives. Show love to your wife in practical ways. Every wife is different. You know, I grew up thinking what wives want, what women want is gifts. That's kind of what I thought. My wife wants a gift. If I'm going to show her love, I go out and I buy her a little gift. But you know what? My wife doesn't like that, really. I mean, she likes gifts. That's not the fundamental way I show her love. You know, she likes it better if I do the dishes or if I clean the bathroom, something like that. You know, nobody ever taught me that, that that's how you love a wife. But know your wife. Wives are different, aren't they? Depends on your wife. How do you, what's a practical way you can show love to your wife? Get to know them. Change diapers. Do dishes. Clean bathrooms. Show, show, show love to your wife. Of course, there's, there's going to be, you know, you have to chart out what do you do in a relationship there's time, and you can only do so much. But if you, if you never do anything practical around the home, maybe add something in. Some wives like gifts. Others like to be taken out to dinner. So know your wife. Bring her flowers. Write her notes or letters which show your affection. Surprise her with something she delights in. Throw a surprise birthday party for her whatever it is, make sure she gets time of relief from the children. You know, know your wife, just show, show love to her in practical ways. Fourth, never belittle your wife. Never belittle your wife by calling her names. Don't ever call her an idiot or stupid or anything else that demeans her. Do not use your strength or your loud voice, louder voice, Typically, men have louder voices, right? Don't use your strength or your loud voice to intimidate your wife, but protect and cherish her instead. Don't, when you get in an argument with her, don't begin to use your loud voice to overwhelm her, right? Don't say anything that makes her look foolish in front of others or point out her mistakes in front of others. Speak to your wife as a gentleman. Also, express appreciation regularly for what she does, whether it's cooking or cleaning or lovemaking, right? I love that Martin Luther was a very outgoing personality. He used hyperbolic and affectionate words to express his love to his wife. By the way, Luther had a very good marriage with Katie. These are the words he used. I mean, it's hyperbole, right? It, it, it could sound like it contradicts even this passage, but I don't think it did. Here's what he'd say. He, he said, Lord Catherine, doctor and preacher. He didn't mean he thought she could be a preacher, right? Sir Katie, he called her. The empress, my rib, my true love, my sweetheart, gracious lady, wise woman and doctor, your grace, holy lady, and a gift of God. Well, that's hyperbole, but he loved her, didn't he? And he constantly expressed that. Fifth, Kevin told me to finish about 10. It's 10. I'm just about done here. Fifth, protect your wife by watching out for her well-being. Maybe she's doing too much and exhausting herself. You, you as a husband, see, 
You know, this situation is too much for my wife. It's more than she can handle. That's, that's a very wise husband, isn't it? You know, there's a thousand things to do in the world. We can't do them all. We're finite, weak creatures. You don't want to put your wife in a situation which is too much for her, psychologically, physically, emotionally. We, we all have limits, don't we? A wise husband says, you know, honey, that's just too much for you. So there was one time when we were married uh, early on. I mean, we're still married. That's the wrong way to put it. Um, there was one time, and uh, uh, we, had a, we had a baby, and Diane was thinking of homeschooling, and she was really wrestling with it. And I just said, you know what? Send the kids to school this year. Send them to school. You need to really spend time with the baby. Uh, I was concerned. It's just too much. It's just too much. It's just exhausting you too much to take all this on. And that's what we did that year, and we think it was a... We think it was a good thing. Maybe someone's taking advantage of your wife in some way in a relationship. Give your wife counsel how to relate in that situation. Or maybe, I've had to do this, I've had to speak to another person. This is not common, but I had to speak to another person who I thought was taking advantage of my wife a little bit because she's very compassionate and nice. And she was always asking her to do things. And so I think I did it nicely, but I said, you know what, Diane can't do all that, you know? Just to say she can't, she, she, there's other things she has to do. And sometimes, you know, she's finite. So somebody else just couldn't eat up all her time. So I said, you know, yeah, she, she can't do that. Husbands, we all fall short in many ways. I do. I, I'm, I'm, when I, whenever I give this talk, I've given it before, I'm reminded of my sins. I need to love my wife more dearly and truly. I can't do it without being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a good reminder to confess our sins. So that's what we all need as husbands and wives, don't we? We need the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit. But thank God He's given us of His Spirit. And we confess our sins, and we go on and we try to do by God's grace, what he's called us to do in joy because he fills us with his spirit. May God help us. Let me say a brief prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word and your truth. We thank you for uh, the instruction you give us and how practical your word is. Uh, Guide us even now during the question and answers we pray in Jesus' name. We are the ones who sin, enslaved from within. Yes, you say hallelujah. Redemption in your hands, and feet from blood that rain. Yes, Jesus, your.